Please join me in prayer. Almighty Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day. We lay the burdens of this world, the cares of this world aside, and focus entirely on you and your word. We know that your word strengthens us and gives us help in time of need. And we ask that you be with us now and guide us, guide us in this service, and also be with those who have a special need of physical, emotional, spiritual they come to you and, and ask for your help. We pray that you will answer their prayer. Be with Gail Bonato as she suffers right now, that you would heal her, heal her and help her to retain and regain health again. We pray also for the people of this nation who are worried about the trials and tribulations of this world, and we pray maybe that they would return or, or turn to you and, and in faith, that they would have their prayers well answered as well. So this prayer petition now we ask in Yahshua's name. Hallelujah. You all may be seated. And speaking of prayer, I uh, appreciate all your prayers for my my condition. My eyes are doing well, so hallelujah. These are the times that try men's souls. As Thomas Paine was talking about his day, he also nailed it for our day. Those called by Yahweh are not immune to the culture's sins, the culture's wrongdoings. Like ancient Israel, we also feel the afflictions of a world in distress. But nowhere are we promised health, wealth, and prosperity in our walk, and that's a myth. Yahshua said, in this world you will have tribulation, but Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world, which means we also can overcome the world. When you petition Yahweh, do you ever feel that he's just not hearing your prayers? Today we're going to look at prayer, its design, its purpose, what effective prayer is, and why we sometimes feel their prayers stop at the ceiling. Prayer is not for Yahweh to learn what our problems are, what our issues are. Yahshua said in Matthew 6, 8, that Yahweh knows our needs before we ask. So why pray? Why did the patriarchs pray? Why did the disciples pray? Why did even Yahshua pray constantly? Why? Well, prayer, number one, is communing with Yahweh. It's like you would do with a friend Sit down and talk and chat. And as you do, you grow closer. Go closer to your friend. As you share your experiences and your issues with your friend. Prayer expresses our trust in him and is a means whereby our trust and faith and dependence on him increases. It brings us into deeper fellowship with him. It endures us to him. Some don't pray because they doubt they will not get a response. James 1.6 tells us to ask in prayer with no doubting. No doubting. At the opening of Yahshua's model prayer, we acknowledge our dependence on him as a loving, wise father who rules us from his throne on high. Our father who art in heaven. Trust in Yahweh is genuine, biblical faith. Yahshua said, Yahweh will answer our prayers Matthew 21, 22, all things whatsoever you ask 
in prayer, believing you shall receive. Believing is what faith is. Problem. Only when they are really up against a wall do most people turn to Yahweh. Otherwise, he's just in the backdrop of their life. He's barely there. He's just in the the, uh, shadows there. And he's mostly ignored. This is a fact, what we see in our world. But when something happens, seriously happens, they turn to Yahweh. You hear him on the news. Keep them in, we'll keep them in our thoughts and prayers. Prayers spoken with little involvement, whipped out half-heartedly, don't get much traction, let's face it. You can't fool Yahweh. He wants your total involvement when you approach him. And that means your total involvement in your life as well. As in your prayers, total commitment and trust in him or else why pray at all? As in everything in our worship, it all is about our heart. What is our heart condition? It's all about our sincerity and intensity. Being lukewarm in worship and in your prayers is useless. From the totality of what we believe and practice down to such decisions as, do I go to worship at services this Sabbath or do I just sit home with my lazy boy and do nothing? Now, if you're sick, we, we advise you to stay home. But there's a lot more to services than just showing up. It's needed. It's needed by the rest of the brethren. It's needed by Yahweh wants to see a heart that's turned to him. The faithful believer is constant and he's consistent. It's all about the heart. It's always about the heart. Yahweh sees all and he remembers everything. And so why don't I get an answer to my prayer? My message today is what constitutes effective prayer. What does the Bible say will get you the answers? And why? Why will I get you the answers? His word gives specifics about what works and obviously what doesn't. It tells us how and why we receive responses to our prayers and why we may not. And Yahweh isn't subtle about it. He's very direct That's what we love about the Bible. He's very direct and tells us exactly what it's about, what he's doing. There are a number of dynamics involved when you pray and what you pray. Maybe Yahweh answered your prayer, but you weren't listening. In a way, you weren't ready for his answer. Sometimes the answer is wait, teaching us long-suffering. You know, Yahweh's on Yahweh time. Man is on his rush, rush, rush now, do it now time. Instant answers, immediate results. Well, Yahweh doesn't always act at the speed of our wants. That doesn't mean he doesn't care. Of course he cares. But he has a reason for everything he does. Getting a response rests with us. If we turn away from hearing his law, Proverbs 28, 9 says... Our prayers become an abomination. If we're not in accord with his will, your prayers really are not worth too much. If we don't do his will, why should he do ours? Sometimes we lack the faith that effective prayer mandates. Remember, 
What Yahshua said in Matthew 17 about moving mountains, if you had a little faith, you can move a mountain from one place to another into the sea. If you only had faith the size of a mustard seed, what's the catch? How does that work? In Matthew 21, 21, you can make a tree wither if you have faith and do not doubt. Again, it's about faith. It's about belief. It really takes one who has a firm belief and faith in Yahweh. Is there an element in doubt when we pray? Is there one little element that can get in the way of a response? Even a small one? Complete trust is what Yahweh expects. Complete and total trust. According to his will. Even David prayed a number of times without getting the immediate response he was looking for. We read about it. Read about it over and over. He says, make haste, he prayed to Yahweh in Psalm 70, verse 5, and 141.1. I have cried day and night before you, Psalm 88.1. Hide not your face from me, Psalm 102.1. Daniel also asked for speedy answers to his prayer. And so did Isaiah, and so did Habakkuk, for naming just a few. In Psalm 40, David says, I waited patiently for Yahweh, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. How patient are we when we ask Yahweh for something? If we really believe that prayer changes the way Yahweh acts and impacts our world, as scripture repeatedly says it does, then we would pray a whole lot more than we do. Our belief in prayer is reflected by how much we pray as well. Pray without ceasing, the Bible tells us. That doesn't mean you sit there all day, you know, in a, in, in a corner and just constantly pray and do nothing else. That means be in a prayerful attitude all the time. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, In all things give thanks, for this is the will of Yahweh. We want to do his will before we ask him to do ours. Do we do that? Or is it all gimme gimme? Sometimes Yahweh has his own reasons for how he responds to prayer. Sometimes the answer is different from the request. Moses asked to join Joshua and the Israelites crossing the Jordan into the promised land. Yahweh said no. Yahweh said, I'll let you go up to the mountain and you can watch them, but you're not going in because of what you did when you disobeyed me. Sometimes we get a bonus of more than we asked for. You know, Solomon asked for wisdom, but Solomon also got wealth, honor, and a long life. And then sometimes Yahweh answers our prayer with a plain and simple no. And he has his reasons for that. Even when it came to Yahshua's own prayer. Before his impalement, Yahshua prayed that the cup of suffering would be taken from him. Remember? He was at that point, he says, you know, sometimes... We can think about things happening, but when we're right there, that changes the dynamics. He prayed that the cup of suffering would be taken from him. But then he deferred to his father with, but not my will, but yours. How often do we pray that way? Not my will, but yours. Luke 22, 2, 24. Who his own self, bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, 
by whose stripes you were healed. There was a whole purpose and plan for Yahshua's impalement and his death, and it's all about us. The answer Yahshua received was no. Instead, Yahweh sent an angel to comfort him. Now that angel could have just gone up and wiped out, incinerated all those Roman soldiers and put an end to this. But he didn't. Could have stopped the murder of our Savior right in its tracks. But if that had happened, then we, without our sacrifice for sin, would end up in the fire ourselves, in Gehenna fire. That's where sin leads, if we don't have our Savior to intercede for us. That's why Yahweh answered no. We deserve to be impaled for our sins, not Yahshua, just kind of like John the Baptist. Yahshua comes to him and says, I want you to baptize me. And he says, oh, wait a minute. I need to be baptized by you, not the other way around. But Yahshua said, to fulfill all righteousness, I want you to baptize me. And so he did. As hard as it is to face, we can be eternally grateful for Yahweh's no answer to his son. Again, he has a reason when sometimes his answer is no. Sometimes his answer is not yet. There once was a king who issued a mandate that anyone caught fraternizing with the enemy in his kingdom would receive 30 lashes. No mercy, no exceptions. Lo and behold, his own fair daughter was caught in violation of the edict. And ultimately, the king could have immediately rescinded the edict, but that ultimately would destroy his kingship in the eyes of his subjects. What's he going to do? He made the edict. He can't back up on it. It's, you know, it's solid. It's in concrete. And he couldn't violate his own edict. On the other hand, his daughter would probably not survive. 30 lashes is, is horrendous. So what to do? On the day of the penalty, the king went to his shackled daughter, took off his royal garb down to his bare back, wrapped his arms tightly around his daughter and said, commence with the lashing. You know, Yasha did the same for us. What he went through is just unspeakable, but he did it for us. He didn't want us to die for our sins. He wanted a way, a way out. Let's pause at this point to answer a common allegation against commandment keepers. We heard it last week when uh, uh, Lucas made a point of somebody who said, well, by your law-keeping, you're substituting Yahshua's perfect sacrifice, and you're overriding his sacrifice. You're, you're finding your own righteousness. Those with this accusation don't know what sin is. Plain and simple, they do not know what sin is. You ask anybody out there, what is sin? 99% will give you some vague answer. They dance around it with broad generalities like, well, sin is doing what displeases Yahweh. Uh, Sin is failure to love Yahweh. Sin is not conforming to his will or not doing what we should be doing, what is right. But tell me specifically, what is sin? You're just dancing around in the, in the out, outlying areas. Tell me exactly. Point it to it. What is it? Well, the Baptist says it's dancing, drinking, and car playing. But what does your Bible say? Sin is. 
So this is defined, 1 John 3, 4, with seven succinct and clear words. Sin is the transgression of the law. Now tell your friend who's arguing that you're trying to earn your righteousness what that is. It's sin, transgression of the law. The law is in effect today or else we have no sin for what Joshua atones. We don't have any sin anyway. Why do we need Joshua? If that's the case. Romans 5.13 says sin is not imputed when there is no law. If there's no law on the road, you can go down the road as fast as you want and you won't be arrested because there's no law to break because there's no law there. We know we have sinned because Paul wrote that all have sinned and come short of the glory of Yahweh. Romans 3.23, all have sinned. No law, no sin. Without law, in effect today, there would be no need for a savior to die in our place. There'd be no need. Why? Because you're sinless. Law and sin are symbiotic. They work together. You can't have one without the other. If some believe that they aren't under the law, then the only conclusion we can draw that they would be just as sinless as Yahshua, and they don't need Yahshua. Right? Explain that to them. That is what the no-law teaching is boils down to. No-law teaching, there's no law, there's no sin, you don't need Yahshua. It's the same thing they're accusing us of. But we're not trying to earn our salvation. It goes full circle. Until their allegation that we're trying to replace Yahshua's sacrifice with our own righteousness... They're throwing out the law so they have no sin and no need of Yahshua's sin sacrifice. To summarize, sin exists because of law breaking. Here's the simple formula. No law equals no sin equals no need of a savior. So just ask those who believe Yahshua abolished the law why they need a savior. They'll say to take away my sins. By that they are admitting that they've broken laws according to the biblical definition. They believe that Yahshua's sacrifice of death for sin absolves them of all sin, past, present, and future forever. Automatically. After they pray the sinner's prayer, they're saved and have no sin. They can go out and live the most decadent life imaginable without consequences. In effect, they're outside the law, they think. That's turning his grace into lawlessness. And Jude 4 says, hold on. Don't do that. You don't turn his grace into lawlessness. Now hold on, elder. That's not what we believe they'll come back with. But that is exactly what their doctrine purports and exactly where it ends. And it destroys even the desire for obedience and right behavior. If you win the prize before the contest, why run the race? Right? I invite the believer in John Calvin's once saved, always saved doctrine to answer Hebrews 10.26. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin, but a fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation. 2 Peter 1.10 says, give diligence to make sure your calling and election is sure. What does that mean? Just float along on easy street and don't worry about anything? Be diligent to make sure your calling is sure. And that's what Yahweh's people do. They want to make sure that they comply with the very life that Yahshua lived. 
who was obedient to his father in everything. While we're in Hebrews, I invite them to explain Hebrews 6, where it is impossible for those who have been enlightened, they understand, they've been baptized, they know what the Bible says, they know what they must do. It's impossible, he says. This one's, uh, this one's very, uh, I would say, a serious uh, passage here. And uh, we need to heed it. It says, if you think you've been, you know, if you are enlightened, you know the truth, and been given the Holy Spirit, and you're converted, or as they say, saved, if they shall fall away, to repent again. Man, that's, that's serious stuff. If they fall away, I believe that's the impardonable sin. I mean, if you fall away, you give it all up. How can these two passages work if Yahshua's sacrifice covers all sins forever, whether now or in the ones you do in the future? Of course, his sacrifice covers all sin, but individually, how does that work? That's what I'm talking about. For the individual, it's another matter. Unrepented sin is unforgiven sin. Repentance is asking forgiveness in total humbleness and then making a 180 turn to go the other direction and not go that way anymore. That's what repentance is and not repeating the sins. And that means law keeping. That means keeping his commands. If my people, which are called by my name and shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Second Chronicles 7.14. Turn from their wicked ways. It can't just be your life the same once you make that change. It can't be. It can't be business as usual. Obedience to his precepts is essential to getting answers to prayer. It's essential. Proverbs 28.9. He that turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. Wow. Wow. Don't, uh, don't poo-poo the law if you want to have answers to your prayers. <laughs> Not just answers, but uh, uh, you know, basically be uh, chastised. 1 John 3.22, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. Why? He says, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So now you ask, why don't I get answers to my prayers? Why don't you look at your life and how you're living it. And are you on the right track? Are you doing what he's, he says is pleasing to him? Look at yourself. That's what it's all about. Look at yourself. Yasha paid for past sins. Romans 3.25. Not for future sins deliberately committed by the believer thereafter. Like the man who went to the priest and said, Forgive me, Father, what I'm, for what I'm about to do. Really? Got the cart before the horse. You know, first of all, a man doesn't forgive sin anyway. That's like gaming the system there. And why is he confessing sins to a man who has no power to forgive them? Yahshua takes our sins and presents them before Yahweh. When we pray in Yahshua's name, that's what happens. Calvin's doctrine of unconditional salvation or unconditional election renders righteous living pointless if Yahshua covers all bad behavior automatically. 
It ignores many passages like Philippians 2.12, working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It disregards the entire reason our sinless Savior was obedient and our perfect pattern for obedience to his Father's commandments. Let's get back to effective prayer. Another case of someone who got a negative answer to a prayer was the Apostle Paul, who prayed repeatedly to have a physical defect removed. He likely had an eye problem. I happen to know something about that. His prayer is found in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. For this thing I besought Yahweh thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of the Messiah might rest on me. He saw a greater, a greater value of having his affliction. He saw a greater purpose. He said, I can live with that. His affliction, and I guess, remained unchanged after the three prayers. He talked about writing a letter, this big letter. Well, that probably means big letters he, you know, in his writing. He couldn't, couldn't read the small print. Whatever, I mean, that's, that's a speculation. But anyway, because Yahweh had a different plan, which he would now, Paul would now come to recognize. That plan was to keep Paul humble, to keep him in humility by a physical infirmity. But it was also for Paul to derive Yahweh's strength from his affliction. We've got to remove the translator's added word, my, in my strength in verse 9. And the passage should read, strength is made perfect in weakness, which clarifies it better. Yeah, it's Yahweh's strength, but Yahweh's strength doesn't increase with meekness, made perfect in weakness, I mean, but Paul, his strength would be made perfect in weakness. He affirmed it when he said, the power of Messiah may rest upon me. Our spiritual strength increases when our physical strength decreases. We see that when we fast. We get humbled. We start focusing on Yahweh. We start realizing that without food, I'm done. I will expire. So we start focusing spiritually in a strengthened spiritual way. Paul got it. He learned that his affliction had an important purpose in his life and in his ministry. Now, Yahweh doesn't promise to respond to the prayers of unbelievers. Only those prayers made according to his will by believers, offered in the authority of Yahshua as our mediator. He may answer a prayer to an unbeliever, but there's a purpose to it. He has to start somewhere. Maybe someone is just starting on the truth. And they, they ask Yahweh, would you help me understand the word? Well, why would he say no? It's like he said, the, the, why would a, a father give his son a rock when he wants bread? Why would he say no? Well, he'll answer that prayer if it's for the right purpose. If it's for a spiritual reason. Paul was not afraid to ask. That's one thing. <clears throat> Some think, well, why ask? It won't do any good anyway. James 4.2 says otherwise. He says, you don't have because you do not ask. It's also appropriate when we petition Yahweh that we include, if it is your will, O Yahweh, because that's the key. 
If it's not his will, we're not going to get the uh, response we need, more than likely. When my grandson asked me to take him down to town to get a pizza, and that adds, but only if it's okay with you, I'm more inclined to do it. Now, that's a far cry from not asking at all. I may not have even given any thought to going down and buying a pizza unless he brought it to my attention that he would like one. But when he does, I will often decide to do it. Doesn't hurt to ask. 1 John 5 tells us to pray according to Yahweh's will, and then he'll hear us. Is it according to his will that he gives you a good lottery ticket? Is that Yahweh's will? Some will say health, wealthy, and, and wise is what he wants. He never says that. He never says that at all. First John tells us to pray according to Yahweh's will, and he'll hear us just as Yahshua prayed in the garden. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Your will. Hebrews 4, 15 to 16, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows. Yahshua knows. Yahshua been through it. He knows, brethren. He knows what we go through because he lived it. He lived it right here on planet Earth. But was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Because Yahshua knows what we're under, we can go to, to Yahweh in his name and implore him that we may find mercy and grace in help to help in time of need. I'm often surprised at how sometimes kind of blunt some of the patriarchs were in their prayers to Yahweh. I mean, we, we just saw an example uh, today. In the reading where Abraham says, well, if you can find 50 people, then don't destroy it, okay? Okay, how about 40? Okay, how about 30? How about 20? How about 10? Uh, Yahweh must be getting a little bit weary by this point, you know? Uh, it's kind of pushing, we would say pushing your luck. I don't like that word, but it's kind of pushing it, you know? But... Uh, Abraham had the right motive. He didn't want the city to be destroyed. And yet, Yahweh knew it had to be because of what it was. Get the righteous people out of there. How about the faith challenged Gideon with that fleece thing? Okay, if it's wet in the morning and the dry around it, I'll know you'll give us the victory. Okay, it was. Uh, uh, well, how about this? How about dry in the fleece and wet around it? So Yahweh did that. Okay. How, why didn't Yahweh just say something like, okay, how about I fly you to the end of the galaxy and bring you back in a nanosecond? Would that, would that convince you that I have the power? Mark eleven four twenty four. 24, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Believe it. Believe it will happen. Oh, it may not happen right now, but it will happen in some way even. Some way you haven't even thought of. It may happen. Matthew 7, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives, 
And he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks it shall be open. That's a promise from Yahshua. We're told to pray in Yahshua's name, meaning by his authority. And consistent with his character. So we're invoking him. We're invoking everything about him. Essentially, all he stands for, all he is, we're invoking that when we implore Yahweh in Yahshua's name. If we have unforgiveness in our hearts as we ask him for forgiveness, are we pleasing Yahweh? If we don't forgive others and then ask for his forgiveness, what does that do? How does that how does that help our cause? Yahweh says in Matthew 6:15 that he will distance himself from us until we show forgiveness to others. That's hypocrisy is what it is. What we can't do is give up on prayer because that shows failure in the test of faith. We can't give up because faith strengthens when we commune with Yahweh. It strengthens, and that's what he wants to see. He wants to see. If you have a good friend who never comes around, how good is he? Never talk to him, never, never see him. How good is that? But when he comes around and you commune, you have lots of good times together, that strengthens the bond. Saul is an example here in 1 Samuel 28, 6. He turned to the witch of Endor when his petition to Yahweh about how to handle the Philistines went unanswered. He didn't try fasting. He didn't start, try praying again over and over. He just turned to, he just went off the cliff. He went to a witch trying to find answers to handle the Philistines. In summation, effective prayer rests with us, the petitioner to Yahweh. Our heart condition is critical. David was a man after Yahweh's own heart, always focused on Yahweh, except for his one incident. He was always praying, and for a reward, he will serve directly under Yahshua in the coming millennial kingdom. How about that? He's, Yahweh says he's a man after my own heart. He wrote the most moving of psalms in the scriptures. He was always laying it out before Yahweh. Nothing hold back. Nothing held back. He was always praying, and Yahweh will reward him for, who knows, an eternity of rulership under Yahshua the Messiah. Living for Yahweh is a requirement of those who are called. Do we just go out and get baptized and then, okay, I'm done. I did what I was supposed to do. Now I go out and live like I did before. Is that what it's about? I'm afraid that happens a little too often. When we make a commitment to Yahweh, we're obliged to keep it and never walk back and never look back. It's a requirement. Do we observe his commands, keep his Sabbath and feasts with the brethren? If we don't do Yahweh's will, again, we can't expect him to do ours. Sincerity is a big factor. Do we go to Yahweh only when we have needs or troubles, or do we go to him because we love him and want to commune with him in our prayers and thank him for what he's given us and how far we've come, thanking him for the truth he's given us, for opening our eyes to this truth? There's so many people that 
they are, they're blind to the scriptures. They don't understand how they all work together. Like the one lady asked me, she said, what, well, how do I study the Bible? Do I start at Genesis and start reading? Do I pick a topic and, and you know, investigate the topic? Um, what do I do? I said, whatever works. As long as you're in the Bible, that's what matters. And you'll grow. You'll grow from that. Sincerity. Do we commune with him daily for guidance, thanking him for all he does for us? Living righteously is key. If our gyroscope is centered on him and not the sinful world, we can boldly go before him, confidently go to him for the throne of grace. Yahshua taught us how to interact with this world and not love this world, but love Yahweh. But to have love for others as well, even when they don't reciprocate. It shows the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit. You know, one day, brethren, we will face the judge. He will ask us about the things we did in this life. Is your conscience free at that point? Or are you going to say, well, yeah, 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 you understand. I mean, you know, I had this problem. If you understand, you have no excuse. You do what he says. Is our conscience free? If it isn't, take it humbly to Yahweh in prayer and ask for your help. Ask for to his help to, to you that you can start walking the walk he expects. And that we don't take advantage of him, but we give back to him and to those who have a desire to understand and be a help to them. And that's the best we can do in this world. May Yahweh bless you.